This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Western Wall. You know, our relationship to brakes is, uh, you know, like brakes on a bike or brakes in a car. Our relationship to brakes is, is bittersweet. Um, I'd like to talk about the bitter part and then the sweet part. The bitter part with brakes is that we all secretly press them without anyone knowing. You know, we all secretly press them without knowing. Like, for example, um, this lady in the back, would you like to tell us about yourself a little bit? Good for you. Good for you. That's so amazing. I chose exactly the wrong person. She's like, I'm Rivka. What else do you want to know? You know? But normally, it would just be like, no. No, I don't, actually. I, I don't want to say anything about myself right now. I, you know, like, they say the greatest fear is, is death, followed by public speaking. But when you give them an actual survey, somehow public speaking gets rated higher than death, which means if someone asks you to public speak, you're like, just kill me. <laughs> you know, that'd be easier. And so, and so we hit the brakes. I was, gonna, I was trying to give an example of, of brakes being hit, but she was just like, okay, here I go. Are you from California or something? You are? <laughs> yes. I have all the people like, anyone else here from California? The one, oh, two other people, yeah. yeah. And would you have possibly told us about yourself? You wouldn't have. Would you have? I don't think so. And she was just like, let's go. And I'm from California. Oh, my goodness. Like, I, I tell all, you know. You know, this whole time I've been feeling like something's wrong, and I finally discovered what it is. I'm wearing AirPods. You notice? The beauty of having pace is no one sees that you're wearing AirPods. And the bummer wearing payas is that no one sees you wearing AirPods. Because they just come walking right up to you and say, like, so what's up? You're like, I don't hear you right now. I'm playing really loud music. So breaks, we hit the brakes in all kinds of secret ways in our lives. Meaning you, when you drive in a car, your right foot does gas and brakes. They train you that way. Because kids don't realize, they see two pedals. They think, oh, that must be the right foot, that must be the left foot. But it's not the case because in an emergency, if you were to freeze and press both, your car would keep going because the engine's more powerful than the brakes. So they train you to only use your right foot so that when the instinct of emergencies hit, you'll use your gas foot for the brake instead of hit them both. But what humans do in their lives, and you've been doing this as well, is you've been, with no one looking, pretending like you're doing your best, I'm trying, you're trying, we're all trying. You take your left foot and you put it over the brakes and you press it lightly just to make sure you don't get embarrassed or you don't fail or you don't get controlled by somebody or you don't, you know, you're always hitting the brakes. And that's why some of you are alone today, you know, because you've been protecting from giving over too much of yourself to somebody. And, and so you, you wind up alone we spoke about that yesterday in class, and about trust. And so we have the brakes on way before necessary. 
Because if you actually did the math of how many people are actually dangerous for you, because I think we watch too much news. I, I just heard a stat yesterday that, that, that places like New York City, for example, are the safest they've ever been. I mean, in like, like it's just been like a 40-year increase of safer and safer and safer. And obviously, when that guy Giuliani got in there, like, it was like the Old West. You know, it was like the cops were just shooting and asking questions later. So many people got killed. A friend of mine got killed for nothing. And a Hasidic guy was just shot dead for nothing. And uh, some, and that didn't make any... Well, that made riots in the Hasidic community, but that's normal. And they, But there was... Even a lady got shot in her car. She was just sleeping in her car. And she, like... They were trying to wake her up. And I guess she reached over for her phone or what. I don't know what. She didn't know where she was. She was asleep. A lot of people sleeping in their cars in New York. And uh, anyway, she got... Whatever. It was crazy. So, um, why am I talking about people getting shot in New York right now? Like, how do we get? Oh, anyway, New York's gotten really, really safe. Really, really safe. But the news has doubled down or tripled down or quadrupled down on stories of violence, making everyone feel unsafe in the safest times ever. We're living in the safest of times. We're living in a time where you can really let your guard down. But then there's another story of some other, you know, uh, some other assault. And there we go again, closing off. And so it gets to the point where you've lost your own ability to distinguish safe from unsafe. Now, Osama bin Laden and radical Islam hasn't been very helpful either. I'll never forget the first flight I took after 9-11 when I was... uh, I was in L.A. It was the second flight because Israel always had security down. We don't need to strip search people. And the, uh, but I was leaving L.A. And beh- I was there. I'm like full rabbinic garb. Um, the lady behind me was this like the most beautiful like African with like the full headdress. And she just looked like, you know, like the, just the purest, holiest lady you've ever seen. And we're both, you know, I don't know if anyone remembers. Do you remember flying after 9-11? What it was like? You know, the, what was it called? The It's still called the F, uh, not the F, the TSA. TSA is the security people. The they were just starting. They didn't know what to do. Remember they looked through everything? It was these giant lines, and they had, to, they had to look through your entire bag. They would. It was crazy. I mean, you had all your stuff out. And every single passenger, you had to show up four or five hours before the flight because they were going to look through everyone's bag while you stand there. You know, and so this lady and I looked at each other and we looked at the person behind the counter, the person who was now going after me. And I looked at the lady and I said, you know, one of the biggest casualties of 9-11 was trust. And before 9-11, you, can you imagine this? You flew without ID. You had a plane ticket. It was before the digital age. You just had a plane ticket. Do you know how many different names as a surfer? We've we got a fellow surfer here from California. That's my buddy. Ross. Yeah. So, you know how many times... Sorry, I used your name. Are you, like, wanted somewhere or something? <laughs> There's a couple times over the years where I turned the camera on the crowd, and, like, some guy just dives to the floor. <laughs> he later comes up to me and is like, that was close. Yeah. So, anyway, the... Um, is, as a surfer, you know how many names I've flown under? You know, just, for example, surfing Hawaii every winter, we would we would buy very cheap tickets off Pearl Harbor military servicemen 
who were just making an extra buck by, by they would, I mean, it was probably illegal, but they were working the ticket industry, getting, getting, uh, getting army-priced flights, you know, building it up another hundred bucks and selling it to surfers. Because there's a giant, every winter break, there's this giant flow of surfers to the north shores of uh, Oahu and Kauai and Maui. And, and so I've flown on, like, my name was like, you know, Wee Chong or something. You know, and no ID necessary. You just come on with your ticket because you're trusted. And so, and so we hit our brakes a lot in relationships. We hit our brakes a lot in business. You know, we, we, we have our hands tied behind our own back, secretly pressing the brakes in all kinds of ways. We so badly don't want to fail. tell this story a lot so I, at risk of overtelling it I, I was once putting my guitar into the first class closet um, which you know they're pretty nice about fancy guitars so, so I put in there and I was talking to the stewardess as we were you know we were the first class it was an LL flight first class had like I think four seats business had like what did the business used to have in those old planes 12 maybe I don't know what. remember the old planes that and the, maybe 12 seats. And I said to the lady, the stewardess, I said, would you say there's a lot of competition at the top? And she says, oh, yes, lots of competition at the top. And I said, well, not according to this plane. She's like, what do you mean? I said, well, there's only four seats in the first class, about 12, and no one's even in them. There was no one there. They're, I guess they're chilling in the lounge, or maybe they didn't even sell out their flight. Many of them don't have people in those seats. And then I said, check out the competition in Coach. And you look back at Coach, the old LL flights before the Dreamliners, where the seats were like packed up against each other like crazy. Anyone been in that sardine can? It's crazy. It was like a world war going on back there. People were like almost slugging each other over the overhead compartment Tetris game going on over there. They were, they, people were going out of their minds back there. And all the temp, I told her, no, all the competition's at the bottom. Because very few people are willing to taste failure and chew on it. Most people taste failure once and spit it out and go find something easier. Go find some other path of least resistance where they will be able to, you know, call it success. With the famous muscle of the, the famous analogy of the, of the, um, the king who with his men were walking through the, meaning with his soldiers, were walking through the forest. And they're noticing many trees have targets on them with an arrow really in the very center of the bullseye. And they keep seeing this, and they're like, who is this archer? And the king finally tells his men to scour the forest and find the archer. And they find the archer, and they bring the archer to the king, and they, they here he is, and... And the, uh, he says, the king says, what is your secret? You must train my men. And he said, well, it's very simple. I pull back the arrow, and I release it, and it hits the tree, and then I take my paintbrush, and I paint a target around it. And that's the way most people succeed in life. That's called success. Meaning, I failed here, I failed there, and I'm just going to find the path of least resistance, and I'll paint a target around it and say that's what I always wanted. And if you look at secular people, no offense if you're secular, but 
That's the way second people date. You know, they just shoot arrows all around and eventually, you know, the one who was, the one who was willing to say I love you back got a target around. Or, or said I it's probably more likely the one who said I love you first. So either they had, they had compassion not to break their heart and so they stayed with them. Or the opposite is that it was such a band-aid on a, on a wounded person that that person said, I love you, that, the, that they, they married them just because they said, I love you, meaning they paint a target around it. That is not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is to, is to aim. Choose your targets carefully. Figure out where it is you want to be shooting and then start aiming for it. You'll probably miss all over the place, but eventually you'll, you'll hit it right. But you chose the target. We're not shooting randomly. Anyway, that's the negative side of breaks. Do you, everyone understands what I mean, the negative side of breaks? It's how we secretly hold ourselves back in various aspects of life. Relationships, including strangers, as I spoke about, trust in the streets. Relationship, success, um, being able to let someone else be in control of things, you know, like a boss or a, or an investor or a partner or, you know, like how we deal with control and stuff. We all got the brakes on. How many men do I meet all the time who are going it alone? They want to do it their way, independent. But Judaism's not that way. I mean, every great man in Judaism, it's, it's when you read the book, the biography of a great great man in Judaism who will, be, who will be remembered forever. Because don't forget, like the likelihood that you're forgotten in a hundred years is super, super high. Even if you're observant in this room, like can you name something, like Yehuda, can you name something someone did in your family a hundred years ago? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, the, and so here are really great people who will be remembered forever in the Jewish world. And when you study the biography of their book, it talks about who they studied under at various points of their lives. Someone mentored them throughout everything. And it's the same exact thing in all successful fields, that there were mentors involved. And of course, we didn't give the lesson, but the reason why there's so few seats in business and in first class is because, is because those are the few people willing to chew on the fat of failure. Because failure is your greatest teacher. You don't, know, you don't know you're going anywhere if you don't fail. Failure is teaching you, teaching you exactly where you need to adjust. It's not teaching you to make a 180. It's teaching you to adjust and, and keep moving towards your target. And that's why so few people sit there because there's really very, few, very little competition up there. I have this, speaking of, like, just as a digression, uh, speaking of sitting in business, uh, there, I heard a story about someone who was borrowing money to sit in business. <laughs> Did you tell me that story? Yeah, I think it might have been you. Yeah, it was you. It was you. We were driving into, into the city one day. You were telling me a story about 
Who was that? You, you don't say his name. You know who it is? Oh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? That's the I'm given the purpose. Can you tell a story? No. <laughs> Breaks. <laughs> I'll flip the camera. There goes your shaduchim. <laughs> anyway, but I, I I I don't remember exactly what he told me on this story, but um, but it was something like, like he just knew that you need to have the energy. If you want to make it in the financial world, you've got to have the energy of a successful person. And there's a totally different energy up there. And you're also in the lounge with people who have that energy. And so you're sending out a vibrational energy that's, that's well-to-do in, those, in, in that department. And so he was borrowing money to be there. And today, today's a rich man, right? He at least flies business. Does he borrow money to fly business? His focus was to meet people. Um, oh, he was trying to meet us. Oh, I botched the story. No, That's why I wanted you to tell it. So his focus was meeting people. Meeting people and, and connecting with people that he researched before. That he... You're kidding. <laughs> That's really funny. That is really funny. No, so then I heard it somewhere else. I probably heard it on one of the... You know, I'm constantly like... Those ear pods are just listening to... The human potential movement on, like, you know, podcasts full time. Like, that's, that's like all I listen to. So I probably heard it from someone else about the vibrations. It's like you want to hang around people with that vibration if that, if money's your thing. So, so he was saying something else. This guy was sliding into business to get to know the people that he needed to know and showing that he's, you know, one of them. It worked? For a while. For a while. <laughs> You can invite him to my seminar if he had other sabotory uh, issues going on, sabotaging his success. Anyway, um, so that was the breaks. What's the good thing about breaks? Breaks are amazing. Breaks are amazing because breaks allow you to go really fast. You understand? Like you think of race car drivers, what do you think of more, the gas pedal or the brakes? Race car driver, which one? Gas pedal or the brakes? Gas pedal. I'm the guy's doing 200, 300 miles per hour. That guy's on the gas. Why is he on the gas? Because he knows he has brakes. He knows he has brakes. Brakes are very important. Brakes allow you to drive really fast. If you underst- I mean, you have to understand how to drive, but, but knowing that you've got brakes is... is is really, really key to, to everything. You know, if you see me going down a... When I do extreme downhill mountain biking, which is about the only kind I do, that's what I do, you know, full body armored, uh, you know, steep stuff. And I don't go very fast because it's super technical type riding and it's very, very steep. And what's... What am I... What do you think I'm pedaling down those things? Do you think I even move my pedals forward at all during that? No. no, I'm just standing on my pedals. What am I doing the whole entire time? I, I never released the brakes. I'm on the brakes. The brakes are the sport. The brakes are the sport. If I only had a hundred bucks to spend on one part of the bike to make it a little better than everything else, it would be the brakes. Because now the, the, the modulation or micro-adjustments that I need to do to enjoy the sport is all going to be those brakes. And so, 
And so breaks are, are super amazing. So breaks are really bitter and they're really sweet. And we have to understand that, that part of life of where, where breaks are, are really your best friend and they're also your worst enemy. Got to understand that stuff. Thank you for joining. Um, please click on whatever you're supposed to click on depending on the platform you're watching. You know, like subscribe, follow, share, all those, all those good things. And please uh, join the yomtopemediaclub.com. Uh, be a support of this process and this amazing thing we're doing to you know I just yesterday I someone sent me an email um, about a lady who's um, who's reaching a lot of people her name's Mel something or other Mel I don't know who knows I don't know what she even speaks on but someone sends me an email that she 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 started it the average corporate talk is ten thousand dollars a talk for an hour imagine making $10,000 an hour? $10,000 an hour. So she started four years ago at $10,000 an hour. It's four years later now, and she's now at $76,000 an hour. And she, in her last year, she had 111 classes that she gave. That's $8 million. And she, and she, um, and she, she said that if she didn't take breaks, she could have taught 365 that year. And if you watched her speak, you'd be like, I can on one hand, or I can on two hands name, in a matter of one minute, I can name 10 speakers in the Jewish world, not even on Jewish topics, who could outdo her in presentation, articulation, in um, even in qu- just quality of sound, and, and uh, meaning equipment, in, in like the video aspect, and who you know, are like barely feeding their families. And so I got this email yesterday. And, what, and this person who sent the email is very not into money. He sent it to me and a couple other speakers. He's not into money. He's, the reason he was sending it was that how ridiculous it is that w- with the message that we bring, which is a universal message, you know, we, we do have very Jewish topics also, but the message we bring is just so much more relevant and powerful and life-changing, you know, over and over again, over and hands down and daily. And uh, by the way, I, I have to say I was flattered to be on the list of emails because I looked at who else got the email. There were also, you know, there, there were people I, I was flattered to be on the email of these speakers. But the guy was saying that we're doing something wrong here or something's up, but there must be a reason why. This is going on. So he says, he asked if we would be willing to create a team of speakers to figure out what's going on here and make sure because, because our message also, we live it, we sleep or lose sleep over it because we want to save not just the Jewish people, but we want to save this planet from falling right out of orbit from the weight of its problems. And we actually have solutions. You know? We have like real solutions. And, and so, um, so, this was all just one long commercial to join the media club um, because that's, that's, that's right now it's funding other things like the people who are doing all the edits and stuff and the equipment and we're getting a new mic also because this lapel mic we got to up it a bit and uh, anyway but uh, please join them yomtovmediaclub.com
just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.